This is Kristen Smith, and you're listening to another episode of the Destination Begin podcast. Hi, hi. Welcome to the episode, the coronavirus addiction. (laughs) It's a crazy world out there right now. I don't even know how to even talk about it, so I just probably won't. But um, I hope everyone, you're healthy, and I hope you're doing the things that make most sense for you. I think there's a lot of different opinions on how to handle and how to proceed, but I hope that we can all just be nice to each other, be considerate, and do the things that don't cost money, like be kind, smile, all that stuff. It's crazy. Um, I was at the store today, and based on just some of the reports that I had heard, I expected it to be a madhouse with people screaming and hollering and throwing toilet paper and It wasn't. It was pretty normal. There was plenty of fresh fruits and vegetables available, plenty of meat, seafood. The only thing that was low were um, canned goods and, of course, toilet paper. (laughs) I talked about that last week. I'm not going to talk about it again, but it still remains a mystery to me, the toilet paper panic. And I'm glad to see that at least on social media, other people are finding some humor in it too. But um, I feel bad for people that actually don't have any and There are people that have hordes of it. So, you know, we're finding out what human beings are like a little bit more right now, if nothing else. So I am healthy. I am safe. I am well. I'm here today to talk about another story of my life. I wasn't going to tell this story. It was something that I wrestled with a lot, and I just decided it wasn't going to be told. But I changed my mind because I get to do that. I get to do that whenever I want. So I changed my mind. And I'm going to tell the story of my second marriage because I feel like there's some stuff in there that maybe will be helpful, educational, motivational, inspiring, helpful to others. And that's the whole point of this podcast. So I'm going to tell it. And uh, I'm not going to talk about some of the details. You know, my first marriage when I told the story – I didn't have any problem telling the full story because, number one, I've been divorced from him for a very long time. Number two, he doesn't even live in the same state. And number three, most of the people in my life right now have never met him and don't know anything about him. So I felt pretty free to just talk about it and use his name and all of that. But it's different with my second relationship. Most of the people in my life have met him and a lot of them are still mutual friends. And so I'm not going to use his name, and I'm going to not talk about a lot of the details. When when everything was happening, when my marriage was ending, I had gone on my social media and I had said a few things, and I felt like I could do that, and I was entitled to do that. But there was a big backlash, people were really angry that I said what I said, and I got very defensive. And then a friend of mine just simply said, you know, It is happening to you, but it's really not your story to tell. And that really hit me hard because she was absolutely right. The way that I had expressed what was going on was completely invasive of his privacy. Even though it was happening to me, I could have expressed that in a way that was less um, detailed. I could have asked for what I needed, which was support and love and strength, without also telling his story. And so I want to be very cautious here that I don't do that again. Um, 
I have my own story to tell because I was involved, (laughs) but I'm going to just try to be really respectful and delicate about what all I say while also telling the truth. So bear with me if it's a little disjointed and um, I don't use his name. So before I get to the story, there's a little backstory. So when I got divorced from my first husband, I immediately freaked out. (laughs) I didn't handle being alone very well. I'd never been alone. I went from my parents to my husband and then all of a sudden I was alone. And so I started dating right away. And I started dating a guy who I was in a relationship with for five years. And he was amazing. He was a gift. And I'm so glad that I met him when I did and that I had that kind of a relationship. He knew I was going through a divorce and he did not want to get involved in that. And he was a very independent person and had never been married and hadn't really been coupled up a whole lot. And so it was a really great setup because I had my son. I did not want to have a full-blown relationship, but I wanted connection and I wanted, I don't know what all I wanted, but it was great because I saw him maybe once a week and in, in between he was doing his thing and I was managing my life and being a mom and he actually didn't meet my son until three years after we'd been dating, but he was really great. He taught me so much about just dealing with my emotions. He taught me a lot about what I was capable of and how to stand on my own two feet. He built me up. He was a big cheerleader in my life. He was very confused when I expressed self-doubt, which was really cool because I you know, I would, would go to a job interview and I'd be just freaking out on the way there. And he'd be like, why? why? You're a mother effing rock star. And it was – he just had a way of expressing his faith in me that really buoyed me and really made me believe in myself. And um, he just brought so much goodness to my life. So it was a really lovely time of growth coming into my own. And he was very supportive and fun. And he – was very liberal and very different from anyone that I had ever been around. You know, I was raised conservative, evangelical, Republican. And I was told that anyone who didn't agree with what I was told was stupid, that Republican conservatives were correct, and everyone else was stupid. It was never presented to me any other way. If you didn't believe like us, you were an idiot all the idiots out there who don't agree. And so to be around this guy and and he was so radically different, but he had a reason for it. And I met all of his friends and his friends were also very liberal and they knew how to defend what they believed and they had reasons for it. And it was the first time that I would sit at a table and hear ideas presented to me that were completely outside of what I was used to, but they were presented logically from the heart with reasons for it. And it was like, oh, the other side of the issue isn't just a bunch of idiots being stupid. Like these are educated people who have beliefs for for a reason. And they're not just willy-nilly idiots. I mean, I really was told that. And so it was the first time that I'd ever kind of walked around any issue and seen other sides of it from other people's points of view. And it was really powerful in my life. 
I didn't change a lot of my core beliefs right away, but I started to at least be able to see the other side and to understand it wasn't so easy and that people are not just all bad idiots <laughs> wanting to just be right, but that there's reasons for why people believe what they do and do what they do. And I mean, that might sound basic to most, but it was brand new experience for me. And um, it was really awesome. And one other thing about this guy is he was in recovery. He, When I first met him, he told me that he was sober and that he went to his meetings every week and he didn't miss those for anything. And I said, oh, okay, you know, I'd never really been around anyone in recovery. And what I saw of it was awesome. He didn't miss his meetings. Um, and I got to know his friends in those groups. And I just saw people who were incredibly honest, people who are constantly working on themselves, people who were really taking growth and healing seriously in their lives. And I loved being around his friends and him in that community. I only saw goodness and positivity from it. And so it was a really wonderful part of him, and it was a wonderful part of our relationship. He taught me a lot by just watching him really deal with hard stuff, really sit with uncomfortable things without medicating with drugs or alcohol, which eventually helped me when I started losing weight to learn how to sit with my feelings without eating. And so all in all, that relationship was really great. And the sad thing about it is after we, we got engaged and the idea of getting married freaked me out, but we had decided to get married after my son graduated from high school because I really wanted to just be his mom. I didn't want to bring a stepdad into the equation. I just wanted to be with my son. And there was enough to deal with, with his dad back and forth and his dad moving away. We just had a lot on our plates. So I had agreed to marry him and I was really excited about it. I really loved him. But as our engagement progressed, um, I had weight loss surgery. I started to change my lifestyle. I started to work out. I started to run. We did a lot of things together, but then I started to do a lot things, a lot of things on my own. And as my son got older and became a lot more work, a lot more emotional stress, our relationship really, really started to splinter. And I realized that a lot of my affection for him was tied to the experience of being with him after my divorce, and it wasn't that I wanted to actually have a life with him. And it really freaked me out because I didn't want to hurt him. And I, it was strange to think about getting out of a relationship that was really healthy. It was a really healthy relationship. But to say, oh, but this isn't what I actually want was devastating. <laughs> and um, it all came to a head when he said that he was putting money aside for our wedding. And when he said that, it was just like a bomb blew up in my head. And I was like, I don't want to get married. And unfortunately, I said that out loud. <laughs> and our relationship ended very soon after that because it's really hard to recover from that. I, I said, no, I want to continue dating, but I don't want to get married. And he really did want to get married. And it just it fell apart. And it's just very sad to know that you can love someone and have a really great relationship, but it doesn't mean that it's forever. And it doesn't mean that you have to marry them. And it doesn't mean you're going to. And I have the capacity to keep people in my life, even if I'm not romantically involved with them anymore. Um, and a lot of people don't. And I had entertained this idea that maybe we could still stay friends. 
but that did not happen. And that is very sad to me. I, I just, I don't have enough time to say enough good things about him. He was an, an amazing man, is an amazing man, terrific, amazing, incredible man. So really, really grateful that I got to have that experience. But when that was over, I just kind of thought, you know, I don't think I'm going to be with anyone ever again. It's just too hard. I don't understand love. I don't understand relationships. I don't get it. And I am not good at it. And everything was going fine in that relationship. And then it just wasn't right. And so I just think that I'm just broken and I'm not able to be in a good relationship. And I kind of had this moment of jaded, screw it all. But shortly after that, I met my second husband. We're just going to call him G. So I met him and we were just buddies. We met, I met him at CrossFit and he had actually known my son before he knew me. My son was working out at CrossFit and he'd worked out with him and had been getting to know the members there. And I had seen his name on a signup board for a duathlon that I was doing. And our CrossFit gym is pretty small. And so I knew everyone. And so I saw this name. I thought, I don't know that person. And finally, ran into him at a spin class and introduced myself. And, oh, are you a biker? I'm a biker. I'm doing this duathlon. We started talking and became buddies. And that was that. And he mentioned that he was in recovery. And I said, oh, that's so great. And I, you know, I just got out of a relationship and, and he was in recovery too. And I just, I really respect that and love that community. And that was that. Well, a few weeks went by and he started to just kind of be around more, coordinated workout times more. We became better friends. We started going to coffee now and again. And we went to coffee one specific time and really had chemistry. And I thought, oh, well, this is interesting. Here's a guy who's got, you know, same lifestyle as me, really great personality, has his life together, and he likes me. I mean, that's interesting. Okay, maybe I'll maybe I'll indulge this. And it was very quick, very quick that I was like, this is great. I want to date him. And so I did. We started dating. And it was great. Everything was great. He was amazing. We had so much fun. We worked out together. We both loved coffee. We went to coffee together. We had all the same friends at CrossFit. And it was awesome. And should mention the boyfriend before, my family was not stoked on him. They were really nice to him, but they were not stoked on him because he was very liberal and very different. He was also very eccentric and just did a lot of things that were very outside of the box and very individual. He was very not afraid to be himself. And my family is, you know, very buttoned up conservative. Um, and so he would show up to a family thing and he'd have flip-flops on and he liked to get his toes painted. And that freaked them out. They didn't understand how to handle that. And they just, they were very nice to him, but they didn't understand the connection. Nobody really understood my connection with him, and which is fine. And so when I started dating G and I brought him around, he was very clean cut and normal, quote unquote. And my family loved him. My parents were stoked. They were just, they loved him from the minute they met him. So it was really nice. You know, I went from like being married where everybody hated him and I had to defend that. And I, of course, I did terrible things to get married. And then the whole marriage was terrible. And, no, you know, the person I was with was was not great. And then I dated someone that was, you know, was not 
necessarily accepted. So here I am dating someone that everyone loved and every box seemed to be checked and it was awesome. It was bliss. And my brain was like, this is it. This is my happily ever after. This is what I've been waiting for. The universe is finally getting it right. I can relax. I can fall in love and everything is going to be the way it's supposed to be. This is it. This is what, this is God's gift to me after all the crap I've been through. And so we started dating. It was in May. And by November, we were engaged. And I just was happy as a clam. When you know, you know. I had no reservations. It was, it was bliss. During the time that we were dating, my son decided to move back to North Carolina to live with his dad. And that was absolutely devastating to me. And having the support and love of G was just incredible. And that really accelerated our relationship. And so when he asked me to marry him, I happily said yes. And I've never been a girl who regretted that I didn't have a wedding. You know, I got married at the courthouse the first time. My mom was there. She wasn't happy. None of my family was there. Went to Olive Garden. We had a honeymoon at the Mall of America. It was very blue. But, you know, I was manipulating everything, getting my way. It was just a mess. But I didn't really fixate on that, that I didn't have a wedding. It didn't really bother me. But when I, when I said yes, all of a sudden I realized I can have a wedding and I can have bridesmaids and I can get a wedding dress. And I got to do all of those things that I'd never done. And it was so much fun. I, my friends get to be my bridesmaids, got to go dress shopping. We didn't plan a really big wedding, but we planned a decent-sized wedding. We picked a Sunday morning breakfast wedding because I love breakfast. And we had a coffee bar and donut kebabs and a breakfast buffet. It was so great. And it was outside. And planning the wedding was just so much fun. And so he had been married twice before. So he was very happy to just let me do what I wanted to because it became a joke. Like, you know, you've been married so many times, like, which was real funny then. But now that I've been married twice, maybe not so funny. <laughs> so it was just wonderful. It was so happy. It was just the happiest days. And we just, we just were in love and planning our lives together. And so the plan was that I was going to move into his house. He had a house in Minneapolis. And so that will finish the basement, make some bedrooms so there's more room. Um, he had two boys and they would come, you know, weeknights and some weekends. And then of course we wanted to have a guest room and an office. So we decided to remodel his house and then we, I would move in there. And so that winter I was planning the wedding. We were saving money for the wedding. His house was being worked on. He's self-employed. So he works out of the home. So it was chaos. It was real chaos. And so it was stressful. And so one day I went over to his house for some reason. And when I arrived there, all the lights were on and the doors were all open. And on the back step was a Ziploc bag full of money and his wallet. And he wasn't in the house. It was really weird. And his phone was laying there and it was, it's, I was scared. I had no idea what was going on. And so I was looking for him and decided to go look in the garage, see if his car was there. And when I walked in the backyard, I stumbled on him and he was laying in the ground. And it freaked me out. I called 911. He wasn't responding to me. Um, I didn't know if he was dead or alive. 
But while waiting for the ambulance to come, I realized that he was most definitely alive. He just was passed out. Um, and so he was not sober. And I have never seen that before in my life, like literally in my life. There, there was no drinking anywhere in my life. And when I dated before and he was in recovery and he never relapsed on anything, I never saw him use. And so I was absolutely shocked to see this happen. It's like, wait a minute, you're in recovery. This doesn't happen. Um, so an ambulance came, took him in. Um, he went to medical detox. And I was just very confused and scared. And when I finally was able to have a conversation, it was just, you know, life is crazy. We're planning a wedding. My house is in chaos. This is not normal. And I just, I'm so sorry. This was just stress. And this is never going to happen again. I promise. Like, this is just such a weird thing. You don't need to worry about it. So <laughs> what would you do, right? I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Everything in my system was saying, wait, 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 stop. What's going on? Because this wasn't just like a little event. This was two days in a medically supervised detox. That is how bad it was. And so disruptive and scary. And I had to decide, do I believe and trust the words that this person who's never lied to me, who I have known for only a year, but almost a year, and that I love and I'm planning a life with, or do I say, wait, 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 stop. Tell everyone, tell my, halt the wedding, bring all this attention, tell my family, worry my family, have them all look at me sideways and say, wait a minute, is Kristen making another stupid mistake? I couldn't bear it. So I did talk to my closest friends uh, confided in them. They were very supportive, but ultimately their response was, you know, you have to do what you think is right. We can't tell you what to do here. And so I said, all right, well, if there's one thing I know how to do. It's to love. And I can love and support anyone through anything because that's my superpower. And the universe owes this to me. And so this is going to be fine. <laughs> and so I said, you know what? You need to get you know, get some accountability and put put some walls around this and get back to everything you were doing before and you're going to be fine. I'm not going to worry about it. Like, let's go. So that's what we did. Went back to planning the wedding. No big deal. Um, things were a little different. He was definitely a little different after that, but you know, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. So the wedding was the end of July and dawned beautiful, gorgeous, sunny Sunday morning. Um, he was stressed out and I was just euphoric that I got to have a wedding. It was so great. It was so much fun. We had about 200 people there, all my family, happy for me. Finally, it was just like, finally, my family is happy with me and everything is the way it's supposed to be. It's finally, finally, finally. His family was very reserved and supportive and nice, but not stoked. And I never really understood that. But I was like, whatever, you know. <laughs> so beautiful wedding. And then the next day, we 
I moved in and we started our life together. And about a week later, we decided to go to a concert downtown to celebrate my birthday, which was, you know, late my birthday was in June, but we decided to wait and celebrate later. So we had tickets to go to a concert and I was excited. I bought a really cute shirt and cute outfit and I did my hair cute and came home from work and got ready to go. And he buzzed in the door, let's go and got in the car and we started driving and, um, he started swerving really bad. And I looked over at him and he was almost passed out. And I realized, oh no. And so that was another incident. And those just started happening where everything would be fine. Everything would be going along just swimmingly. And then out of nowhere with no warning, he wasn't okay. And it would happen pretty regularly timed to big events in my life. When my son would come home to visit from North Carolina, I'd be so excited to have him. And then right before he'd come home, G wasn't okay. And I had to cover for him and lie about where he was. My family could not know. They could not know what the, what was going on. I told myself it was to protect his reputation. But really, in hindsight, I know that it was I didn't want to look like an idiot. I didn't want anyone to know that I had made another stupid decision. That I had blindly gone where my gut knew I shouldn't go. At least shouldn't have gone yet. So those incidents just kept happening. My birthday, my son's graduation. I flew to North Carolina and watched my son graduate, and it was the most proud, happiest moment of my life. I was there with my mom and my sister and my niece, and the day before I'd gotten a phone call that G was not okay and that nobody had heard from him. And so while I was there, happy. Half of my heart was just full of fear and terror, wondering if he was dead or alive. And I had to sneak away to make phone calls and ask people to go check on him and make sure he wasn't dead. And when I came home, I had to clean up and I had to get him help and ask him if he wanted help. And he would always get help and it would be okay for a while. And we'd have a new plan for how it was going to be okay. And then it would just happen again and again and again. My birthdays my son's visits, holidays. The last time I was down in Iowa cleaning my grandma's house out, it was the last time my grandma was in her house before she went to a nursing home, was there with my sister and my cousin. And it was a really painful, big event in our lives. And he was not okay. And so half of my brain was wondering what I was going to come home to. And half of my brain was trying to process and deal with a very big moment in my life. And when I got home, I said, I'm done. I can't do this. Maybe other people can do this. I can't do this. This isn't what I agreed to. This isn't what I signed up for. There's a monster in the closet of our house. And the only person who can guard that door and keep it from hurting me and hurting us is you. And you walk away from the door and say, it's fine. And the monster gets out and wreaks havoc. And I, I didn't sign up to live with an unguarded monster. But it was October, and the holidays were coming, and I was convinced by him to just hang in till the end of the year 
and then we could go our separate ways. Well, my son moved back in with me at that point, and it was wonderful to have him back, but that added stress, and it was hard. And so we decided to take a family vacation to Mexico. We went to Mexico with our best friends and their kids, all of them. There was six of them. We brought his son, and I had sworn that I would never go to Mexico again because we had our honeymoon in Mexico. And I was really excited to go to Mexico for our honeymoon because, you know, We'd been married since July, and by February, there'd been three or four incidents, and I was convinced that getting away and clearing our heads, maybe we could fix this, and it would be okay. And so we went to Mexico, and in Mexico, you can find a lot of things on the street that you can't find in the States. And so my brand new husband on our honeymoon was not okay, but insisting that he was. And so I had to follow him and find the things that were hidden in the walls of the hotel. And I've never cried as much ever as I did on my honeymoon in Mexico. Just the thought of this was supposed to be, this was supposed to be my happily ever after. I was so convinced that I was owed this. And then it wasn't. And I knew that I had made a big mistake, but I didn't know what to do except to keep trying to make it work. So when we had the opportunity to go to Mexico, my immediate thought was, no, I'm never going back there again. I was in Mexico with someone who wasn't okay, and I didn't know where my passport was, and I was scared that he would leave our hotel and never come back, and I'd never find him again. I'm never going back to Mexico. But we had the opportunity to go and stay in my boss's condo. And so I thought, surely not in my boss's condo do I need to worry, and surely not with our friends with us do I need to worry, and surely not with his son with us do I need to worry. It'll be fine. And so we went and it was wonderful and I relaxed and we had a great time and it was perfect. And on Valentine's Day, we got up and we took a bus to the Isla Mujeres for an excursion and it was jolly and happy. And it had been raining, but that day it wasn't raining. We got to go do this excursion and we got to the island and he wanted to take his son on a moped for the hour that we had. And I wanted to walk around and shop. So happily we split up and they went one way and I went and walked around in the sunshine. And it was Valentine's day and I found a heart shaped donut and I was happy, happy, happy. And when we all got back together to get back on the boat and he pulled up in the moped and stepped off, he wasn't okay. And I knew that moment is burned in my mind forever because I knew I was done on Valentine's day in Mexico. And so I had to call his son's mom and say, this is what's going on. I can bring your son home to you right now. Otherwise, I just promise to keep him with me and keep him safe at all times and I will handle it. And she said, yes, do that. And I started the Academy Award-winning performance of my lifetime because I didn't want our friend's vacation to be ruined. I didn't want anyone to know. And so pretended like everything was fine, and the next day our friends left, and then the next day we went home. And he was so not okay that he was happily in blissful happiness on the plane a few rows back from me. And I sat – I paid for – Wi-Fi on the plane, and I sat and messaged my best friend, sobbing, telling her what was going on. 
and telling her I was going to move and that I was done and that this was the ninth incident and the most serious and the one that flipped the switch from I can do this to I can't do this. And I was heartbroken. That is a small word to describe it. I was heartbroken to a degree that I could never begin to articulate. I loved him. I went all in. I really believed that I was owed a happy ever after. There was something in me that really believed that I had paid my dues and I had suffered in my first marriage and therefore I was owed a free ride the rest of the way. So not only was it heartbreaking to know that I had to end that relationship, but I was completely blindsided by what I really thought the universe was supposed to do. And how naive of me, right? But I really believed it. And so I came home and just told him, you know, this was supposed to be over in October. And now this is, um, it's really over. And so I couldn't stay in the house and just wait to figure out logistically what was going on. And I was so heartbroken and it was winter. And I just thought, you know what, if I'm going to be heartbroken and destroyed and have to plan my life, I'm not doing it here. I asked if I could work remotely and I took off and I went to Miami and um, just to get away, get into the warmth. Just if I'm going to be heartbroken, I'm going to be heartbroken in the sunshine. And so that's what I did. And I wasn't sure if I was going to leave forever or if I was going to leave for a year and give him a chance to figure his situation out. And it became very clear, very clear that it wasn't going to change in a year and it wasn't going to change enough to make it something that I could do. And so I decided that I was going to completely rip off the Band-Aid and start my life over. And it took me a few weeks to figure it all out. And in that time, I traveled. I went to Miami. I went to Clearwater. I went to Vegas. I went to California. That was the only way that I knew to cope was to get out of everything familiar and just go find my heart and go cry alone and go run on the beach and choose to live. And during that whole time, he chose to bury himself. And it got really bad and really scary. And I just every day had to decide to get up and choose life because staying, that was death. And he was choosing death and I was going to choose life. And that's what I had to do. And it was gut-wrenching. What do I do now? I went all in. All my stuff is here. My son, my son is here, but um, I, you know, I don't know what to do. And so I just one by one just started to make decisions. And I found an apartment. I found a sunny little tiny apartment for just me and my doggy. My son decided to move back um, to North Carolina, but before he did that, we found him a spot to live in Minneapolis and got him his own place. And we all just tried to regroup and it was hard. And I have never been so broken in my entire life. And I never would have thought that I could have done all of that and held it together. But I just learned that when you choose 
to live. I decided one day, I said, I'm going to choose life. And I would say it to myself every day. I choose life. What does this life look like today? And I would fill my day with the things that made my life mine. I walked my dog. I ran the lakes. I went to my gym. I spent time with my girlfriends. I spent time alone in bed crying. I spent time working. I simply every single day crafted my life around the things that made me feel okay. And eventually it was okay. And our divorce was finalized in the summer. And I've never looked back. I would say that healing from that was quicker than I ever thought it would be simply because a, the relationship was not even two years, not even three years long. And B, there was no other path for me. There was death or life and I chose life. And when you're that sure, it's not easier, but you don't have to waste time balking and wishy-washy. And I just knew like, well, if, if I go for life and something happens that brings me back to him in a way that means life, then fine. But right now, life with him is death for me. And so I won't choose it. And um, I don't really know what his life is like right now. I, I don't keep up with it. I just, I wish him well. I think he's doing well. Um, I hope his kids are doing well. That was a part of the equation that was the hardest for me. I loved being a stepmom. I loved having that dynamic. My stepsons were incredibly precious to me. And that's something that I don't know that I'll ever really be over that. But the time that I spent with them was just precious. And the time that I spent married to him was precious. Um, they always say about pilots that it's hours and hours of boredom with marked by like seconds of sheer terror. And that's really how it, my marriage was. When it was good, when he was healthy, it was bliss. It was the happiest existence. And then it just wasn't. And there was never warning. I never knew what was coming. And so there was this liquid string of fear that was always under the surface of my heart because when I opened my door, when I arrived home every day, I never knew what I was coming home to. And I don't know how many times other people could have endured that, but for me it was nine. So that's that. The lesson, the universe doesn't know you anything. And even when you learn a lesson the hard way, it doesn't mean that you're going to make good decisions from there on out. I started out making good decisions and then along the way, in the end, in the end, I couldn't, I couldn't let go of what I wanted in favor of what I knew I needed. And I hope that now I'm capable of doing that. Maybe I had to learn that twice in different ways, but I own my part of that. But addiction is a formidable 
opponent. And I also learned that, yes, I love really well, but my love is not magic and it can't force anyone to want anything. And that recovery is an inside job and you can support someone all day long and love them the best that you can. But ultimately, there's nothing, there's nothing that I can ever do to make anyone be healthy or want to be healthy. And um, I think that's the thing that a lot of us who love addicts really believe is that my love will make the difference. I can make this work. At least for me, I really felt like if anybody could make it work, I could. If anybody could be supportive and loving and a cheerleader enough, it was me. And now I know. (laughs) No, my love isn't magic. My support isn't magic. Um, It's just, it's love and support. And it needs to be directed um, toward people and things that um, don't need it to survive. So I think of myself as like a lamp, right? And I do have a lot of love and support. And if I plug the cord of me into an outlet so that I can feed it my love and support, I need that outlet to be also alive so that it can feed me back and light me up. And I was plugged in for a long time thinking that I could put the power in there and make that work. And and just silliness doesn't work that way. So I don't really have a great big wrap up for you. That's just the story. That's just what happened. I guess if you're in a situation where you love someone who is not recovered, I would say, I'm really sorry because it's really hard and I can't tell anyone what to do. But I will say that um, recovery and health is an inside job for them and recovery and health is an inside job for you. I now understand that no matter what happens, I have to always keep my side of the street clean, keep myself healthy, keep myself strong, and not sacrifice anything of who I am for any reason or for anyone. I will choose life always and forever for the rest of my life, no matter what it costs me outside of that life I choose to live. Unfortunately, what I didn't understand would happen is that I lost a lot of people that I care about. My family um, has not been supportive of my decision to leave. I can't blame them completely because they didn't know a thing. They knew nothing until I said, oh, I'm done. I'm leaving. So they didn't get a phone call on episode one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. They just found out at number nine. So they weren't worn out. They weren't exhausted. They weren't worried. They went from everything is fine to nothing is okay and ever nothing ever will be again. And so they were very much like, well, there's help for this. People can get help. People can go to treatment. And they didn't know that we'd already done all of those things many times. And so they just saw me give up out of nowhere. So I can't blame them for being shocked and unsupportive. Um, What I didn't expect is that that would continue. 
Um, they've chosen to support him. They've chosen to be there for him. And they've chosen to question and not be supportive of me or my life. And I didn't expect that at all. And so I had to decide, okay, am I choosing life, even if it means I'm all by myself? Um, And yes, yes, it does. Luckily, I'm not all by myself. I have amazing friends. I have girlfriends who are more like sisters to me. And I have friends who have lifted me up, supported me, loved me, given me hard advice, been there for me, listened to me cry, helped me out, been happy for me, and supported me the way that I need. And sometimes the what you need doesn't come from your family. It comes from people around you, people that you choose, family of choosing, not family of origin. And that's okay. And I just didn't expect it. And that has been really hard for me. But I'm just super grateful for the awesome people that have come along in my life that have supported me. And I really feel like I can do anything. I feel like I can accomplish anything and I can get through any hard time because the people that I need are right here. And uh, the universe no longer, well, it never did owe me anything, but I really understand that the universe owes me nothing. If I want it, I got to go get it. And I got to be honest with myself and either pay on the front end or the back end, as one of my wise friends says. So, so there's the story of the second marriage. Hopefully, hopefully, uh, that was just about as entertaining as you hoped it would be. Um, I hope it, I hope it can be helpful or meaningful or something to someone. I hope it can count for someone's life other than mine. I know that I've learned a lot from it. Perhaps someone out there like you will too. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the podcast. If you learned something or liked something or found something encouraging or motivational, please let me know. I love hearing from you. I love hearing your thoughts. I love hearing your feedback. Shoot me a message on Instagram. You can find me destination underscore begin. You can also email me, Kristen at destinationbegin.com. Just love to hear from you. Also, please consider sharing this with a friend, subscribing on iTunes, or simply sharing on social media about this podcast and that you like it and why. The podcasting world is a big one. It's really hard to get any traction or to get it out there into the big universe. So anything that you can do to help share really, really makes a difference. Thanks so much. We'll be talking to you next week.